We seem to be living in an era of tailored databases. There's been a real explosion of them in recent years. You get databases that are really strong at certain kinds of workloads. Databases designed with a deliberate sweet spot. And I don't think that means the end of the general purpose database, like Postgres or MySQL or anything like that. I don't think they're going anywhere. I think what it means is that as developers, we have to expand our toolbox. We need a larger mental list of the kinds of databases that are out there so that we know when it's time to use the specific tool for the specific job. So, in that spirit, today we're looking at XTDB, which is a bi-temporal database. What's a bi-temporal database, you ask? Exactly. I've brought in an old colleague of mine, James Henderson, to discuss it. We last worked together years ago, and since then he's become the lead developer for XT. And I wanted to ask him about the two sides of that job. What's a bi-temporal database? Why should we care? And what's it like being the lead developer on a new database? I don't think that's quite like other programming jobs. No, we're, we're all users of databases, but very few of us will be on a project building a database. So this week we get to live vicariously through James, as well as expanding our list of options for future projects to by temporal database is kind of something you might have already created an ad hoc version of in the past. But today we're going to see something that's formalized it properly. So let's look at bitemporality. I'm your host, Chris Jenkins. This is Developer Voices. And today's voice is James Henderson. Joining me today, it's James Henderson. James, how's things going? Hey, Chris. Doing very well, thanks. And yourself? Very well. Very well. Glad to see you. We used to work together many years ago. Oh, crikey. It was a long time ago, wasn't it? Um, Yeah. It must have been 2013, I want to say. That's that's forever in internet years. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. It really is. (laughs) These days, you are a lead developer for a database called XTDB. And I wanted to talk to you about two things which we have to get deep into. One is, why does the world need a new database? And two, what's it like being a developer on a database? So it's probably best for context we start with what you're building rather than what it's like. (laughs) So why does the world need a new database, James? (laughs) <laughs> um, so I'll talk a little bit about what um, what XTDB is. Um, so it's it's a database we've been developing it for about four or five years or so now. Hmm. Um, it's written in uh, written in Clojure, um, and its its main cell is that it's a, a bitemporal database. Um, so it's got it's got time at its uh, time at its very heart. Um, and and what, what we essentially part of the reason for us building this um, was that. We we see so, so many in so many of our client use cases. We see people trying to do roll their own by temporality, um, whether, whether it's um, like sort of t- tables with soft deletes um, or tables with loads and loads of different time columns. You're going to have to step back and define by temporality. I probably am, aren't I? Yes. Yeah. Um, so by, by temporality, quite literally means two times, um, two time dimensions. Um, you, they're called valid time and transaction time. Uh, the, the names for those vary hugely across the um, 
So like for, for valid time, you might hear application time, business time, domain. As usual in the industry, we can't agree on the names for these things. <laughs> yeah. um, transaction time is also called system time. But so transaction time or system time um, is when the system first under, when the system first sees the fact. Right. Um, valid time is when that fact is actually applicable to your to your business to your uh, to your application. Um, so it enables things like um, retroactive and what we call retroactive and proactive updates. So re retroactive being, um, I, I understand that someone's changed their name. Um, I've been informed after the fact that they in fact changed their name when they got married last weekend. Right. Yep. Um, so it's like uh, I'm overdue doing my business expenses. At some point, mm -hmm. I will say I bought a laptop last month. Yes. So we'll have the timestamp yeah. of now when I actually assert it and the timestamp yeah. of last month when it matters. Exactly. Yes, right. exactly that. Um, and then it allows you to ask questions either with or without corrections. So if I'm if I'm looking, I mean, what, one common use case we see, for example, is thing, um, things like risk um, and risk calculations and the like. Right. And if, as in a lot of regulations, I had to justify why I made a certain business decision or a certain trade or whatever it may be, yeah. Um, one of the things I might say is that in hindsight, that was a terrible decision. Right? It was an absolutely <laughs> terrible trade. Like why, why on earth did you do it? It took, it took you completely out of your risk profile. Yeah. But one of the things you can say is actually based on the information I had at the time, it was a reasonable decision because you go right. back without the corrections that you've seen later. Right. And you yeah. say, so what, what did we know at Tuesday at 4 p.m. without subsequent corrections? Yeah, so only consider it to so you filtering for everything that had happened a month ago, whether mm -hmm. or not it was in the future or the past of that in logical business time. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But then in other situations, I might want I might want the exact price as of Tuesday at 4 p.m. as as we know it now. Because right? we, we might have been back and corrected it and said, right, okay, so your Microsoft share price was whatever it is. Actually, we made a mistake there, or the system was delayed in getting that information to us. Um, we now know that the price at that time was this. Um, and so now I want the absolute up-to-date information with the corrections, as we best know it. Right. Now, I, in my dim and distant past, I've worked on accounting systems. And we did that. You know, we had like... Um, I forget what the, again. I forget what the names are, but we had like a, an insertion time and a mm -hmm. business transaction time, right? Are you two more to the list there? <laughs> I have, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> We're not moving the field forward. Um, no, right? But but we did it in an Oracle database, and it was just two columns. So mm -hmm. I think you have to justify why we need more than uh, two columns in our familiar database. Right, yeah. So the, the update, especially when you go to buy temporality, um, the update procedures for that get quite hairy. Um, and, it's, and especially once you add on those those retroactive and proactive updates. Um, so when you've got four columns, um, you as the developer then have to consider, right, okay, so if I am going to make a retroactive as, update as of 4 p.m. last Tuesday, mm -hmm. I need to consider how many rows I need to add. Because I'm, I'm going to have to add rows to that table. Because yeah. it's... Um, uh, um, you're going you're to have to add, add rows for the new, essentially the new versions of the document. Um, you're then going to have to consider um, the what changes you make to the existing ones. So I'm going to need to cap off um, the current row, um, but also if I'm doing it by temp by temporary, I'm going to need to cap off cap off the system time. 
Um, I'm then going to need to keep the record of what it was back then without corrections and the record of what it was back then with corrections. Mm. And that ends up being, to, to maintain full bitemporality, that um, ends up being um, quite a headache. Um, the, the other thing that we bring to this is performance, of course, because if you are um, if you are just doing uh, comms in your own um, sort of in your own ad hoc way, um, the database mm. won't necessarily be able to optimize the queries. Um, so, for example, we put quite a lot of emphasis in making sure that as of now queries, um, which typically in, in, in a lot of systems represent the vast majority of um, everyday queries. The, um, we make we make sure as of now queries are, um, are correspondingly faster than maybe historical queries might be. So we, we understand a bit more about the um, uh, the distribution of the data, if you like. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. It, does it factor into like querying as well? Do you have anything like special operators for querying at particular points in time? We do, yes. Um, so we're we're basing um, at least in sort of XT um, version two, the early access that we released a few weeks ago. Um, we're basing that very much on the SQL 2011 spec, um, which covers an awful lot of ground here um, for, for bitemporality. Really? Um, it introduces, yeah, introduces a number of new syntactic structures which um, aren't very well implemented across the industry as yet. <laughs> um, it's, it's, taking, it's taking, well, as well as it's SQL 2011, what are we now, 2023? It's taken us a while to catch up as an, yeah, as an industry. Yeah, but the SQL spec, it's not supposed to move fast. Perhaps a bit faster <laughs> than that, but... <laughs> Yes, you know, quite, quite. Um, so it, do, it does allow you, for example, to um, when you're um, when you're doing select from a table, um, it allows you to say from that table for system time as of, and then you can give okay. it a system time. We then extended that for valid time as well, um, but you can also do sort of system time between or valid time between. Um, so give give me the the history of this entity um, throughout 2022. Um, so between 1st of January and 31st of December. Um, including corrections. So corrections depends on what you specify for system time. Right. <laughs> so if I if I want corrections, um, I'll leave the system time as of now because I want it to be the most up to date. I want yeah. the system knows now. If I don't want corrections, I'll go back in system time. I can see accountants and auditors loving this. Absolutely. But the <laughs> thing is, they've known how to do this for centuries, perhaps. Yeah, uh, this has been right their, this has been their right? bread and butter. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they've known. I mean, and, and they've certainly known about immutability. Uh, the, we the, need the to talk whole, about that too. Yeah, the, this, this whole thing around we, we don't we don't ever go back and correct the past. We write a new we write a new version. Or we write a correcting transaction. Mm. Um, they they've known about that for I say way longer than I've been around. Whereas, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm not that old. <laughs> Um, yeah, so um, what, what we're doing is sort of drawing on drawing on that kind of knowledge, which um, let's say it's, it's, it's about it's about time we did, and especially now that um, the the constraints have changed as well. So certainly in the early days of, of relational SQL engines, we we had very different we as an industry had very different constraints, and I wasn't around for that either, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> we certainly had very very different constraints in terms of how um, like, make, making best use of our storage. Um, because storage was very expensive, we, we had to, we had to make updates in place in order for it to um, in order for it to not become crazy expensive. Whereas yeah. now, um, with storage, especially remote storage, um, being a lot cheaper and a lot faster to access, um, the sorts of solutions we can consider um, for for these kind of databases, where it, where all of a sudden it does become an option to to store literally everything, to store your entire history. 
Yeah, yeah, there was a period in our history where you would update and throw away old financial data because you had 64 meg of RAM. Yeah. Right? Uh, and it was yeah, your no, exactly. or, or sometimes like 64 meg of disk, if we're really going back. <laughs> um, yes, so you had yeah. to. Yeah, we can make different design decisions now. Absolutely. Um, and we can, I mean, obviously, we still prioritize keeping as much data as local as we can. Um, so we'll um, in, in XT we're, we're, we're looking to bring us, bring as much data sort of into 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 CPU cache, into memory, into disk, into something like Redis, and then only at the last stage do we go all the way out to the remote storage. Yeah, um, and I think that's a I think that's a fair typical pattern. Anyway, we're not we're not inventing anything new there. Okay, in, so in you're leading into uh, you're leading into some gory details, which I want to get into. What's happening under the hood? Give me some technical uh, facts about how you make this work. <laughs> so XT, um, both both in the in the version one that's out in out in production at the moment, um, yeah. and, and the V two that we're, we're on the early access, um, it's based on the what's called the inside out architecture, um, which I first heard from a talk by Martin Kleppman. Uh, apologies if, if that, that may well not, he may well not be the first person to have thought of it. He's, um, I think, I don't know either, but <clears throat> he's widely recognised as giving the founding conference talk that made everybody start talking about it, right? Yes, yeah. Mm. Um, and the Inside Out architecture says um, that, that rather having the, rather than having the log sort of ingrained within the database and being an internal implementation detail, we, we make it front and centre. Mm. Um, we, we've, we very much have the, the, the log as the history of everything that's happened and then base our data store on that log. Um, as, as a like a like a projection over, um, so your, your data becomes essentially a projection over that log. Yeah, um, and that's and that's sort of the event sourcing folks will find that very familiar, no doubt. Um, yeah, yeah. So X XT hasn't really yeah. got into the event sourcing space yet. Um, yeah, but they'll, they'll they'll certainly be very very familiar with that. This um, is related so us, to like Kafka, right? Yes, no, exactly. Um, mm. Yeah, def definitely related to Kafka, um, and in fact, Ka um, Kafka is our model for what we call um, the, the the transaction log within um, within XT. Um, when you say so the model, XT's... as in you've copied it, or it's like you use it. Uh, so the the, uh, the model implementation, the the, the better implementation of the, of the transaction logs. Right. Okay. So X XT is um, more more so in V one is what we call unbundled. Um, so you can bring certain components to the table. Um, we ask you to provide a, a transaction log and an object store. Um, so a, trans a transaction log has to be totally ordered, um, and all of the um, all of the clients have to, all other consumers have to agree on the the order of the transactions. That's what gives us the consistency over the um, over the cluster. Right. But then we also have a component called the object store, um, which, as as it sounds, is um, if, if you think S three. Um, or blob storage, or whatever Google Cloud call it. Um, it's called cloud storage, isn't it? Which, whichever sort of, um, whichever cloud you subscribe to. Yeah. <laughs> other, um, yeah. <laughs> other services may be available. Um, so it's, it's that kind of it's that kind of principle. Where for for object storage, we're looking at being able to store big blobs of data um, and 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 grab and grab hold of them as uh, grab hold of them as necessary. Okay, so, so you're also you, like storing images, fill. Movies, that kind of thing, happening. Oh, no, so the, the the blobs is for our um, it's essentially our database pages. If you think if you think oh, the okay. database page and you open file wrong, right? Um, and then and then it's up to us to then manage that which which pages we bring locally and which pages get um, which pages have to stay um have to stay in the remote. 
so the yeah the idea the idea behind that is that we as XT don't then manage that. Um, so we we, we delegate <laughs> a lot of the hard a lot of the hard work to that. Yeah. Um, particularly particularly Kafka um, and the and the total ordering and consistency between uh, between clients. Um, Out of curiosity, what are you totally ordering by? Which of your fields? Um, so we're to totally ordering a situ by transaction time. So it's it's a single writer. Um, okay. Similar to um, uh, similar to Datomic's idea. Okay, um, so single writer, single partition on Kafka, and you're just yes, building yeah. this big append-only log. That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what that's. So yeah, no, no, no consideration about partitions at, at least as at least as yet. And so. <clears throat> You say you're offloading a lot of the hard work, but it sounds every database contains part of an operating system, right? <laughs> and you're managing a page cache to disk. That's getting close into like what operating systems do to manage levels of caching. Mm -hmm. That must be a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite naive as it stands. Okay. Um, we, we, we've got a lot of work to do in that area um, before um, before before we can really sort of push VT out to the out to the big time. Okay, so is this largely um, considered to be like an analytics database rather than a transactional database? Uh, we, we're calling it HTAP, um, so hybrid transaction and analytical. Um, okay. So the the idea being there that um, way way too much time in our industry is spent in ETL land, um, and if we can get <laughs> if we can get something that works reasonably enough for both, um, we'll, we'll be in a we'll be in a good shape, and we can get we can get people building applications on top of this. Right. Um, without without having to go through a lot a lot of that rigmarole. Um, okay, yeah, so, so certainly there, there's a, there's a few of the um, technology choices we've made that are slightly sort of oriented towards the OLAP side, um, and we're having to make the OLTP side catch up a little bit at the moment. Um, okay. That's yeah. indeed what I was working on before I came on this uh, before I came on this podcast. <laughs> um, how how do we make that happen? That gets into it. What's it like being um, you know because lots of us build like web apps, right? A, a lot of programmers are out there building some kind of application that faces eventually some kind of uh, non-technical user. Mm -hmm. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, you're working on like really core infrastructure that will eventually be used by developers to eventually do something for people that aren't technical at all. So what's it like? It's quite different. Um, and certainly for me, at least, it took, it took a while to get used to um, I think so. So uh, for, for me, sort of, I mean, the, the vast majority of my experience has been in exactly that. It has been sort of web apps. It's been in, in like talking to end users. Um, yeah. And you, I mean, you're, you're familiar, and, and, and chances are most people listening be familiar with the kinds of processes that go on there, um, the, the kinds of cadences you get into when you're when you're developing, um, in terms of sort of milestones and releasing functionality and, yeah. and, and that kind of thing. Um, there's there's a couple of things that are, that are quite different about databases, and obviously it's for us it's it's very much more about R and D. Um, so I think one one of the big differences we see there is that we have very few estimates um, in a, in our planning in our planning processes, um, largely because of the R and D like R and D nature of the work, um, and and especially um, in in this last eighteen months or so when we've been very much in a, in a very much in a research phase. Um, we're also focused a lot more on backwards compatibility. Um, like I've, I've, um, 
in, in, in the sort of my early days of closure, I wrote a few libraries um, for, the, for the for the closure ecosystem. And there, you, in, in library world, you have to worry a lot more about backwards compatibility than you do in yeah. web app world. Um, and in database world, it's worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can believe. You've got to worry about not changing APIs and they've already got this log of immutable data. Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so there, there have been quite a few issues um, in, in XT, certainly in the early days, where we, we we really had to consider, right, what have people got serialized on disk? Yeah. Um, and particularly when you're in the immutable world, mm. um, when we're saying that this this transaction log is, complete, is completely immutable, we're never going to go back and change that log. Um, like whatever, whatever structures are on there are on there. And they're... Um, and, short of a, a migrate your entire log, yeah. um, which we've been tempted by once or twice, um, oh, but right. have, ne- have never done it. Um, merely because we, un- we understand what impact that would have on our users. Uh, yeah. you, you've, got, you've got a live running system. What, what you really don't want is your database, like your database folks saying, right, so what we're going to need to do now is to stop everything. Yeah, might like pipe your log into something else, uh, pipe your transaction log into something else, and then and then go again. Which ideally, I mean, if things are working the way they're supposed to, is a really large, important log of like possibly yeah. financial data. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly that. Exactly. So how that. do you deal with that? How do you? How? I mean, it sounds like your hands are very much tied. How do you make progress? Um, generally by being quite conservative about what we put on there in the first place. Right. Um, so um, there, there have been a few um, there have been a few features certainly that we've um, that we've considered and have had to step away from because of um, uh, because of not wanting to change that transaction log, um, but also partly because um, we um, when, when we read that transaction log we then in, we then index it in a form that's more useful to us. Obviously, you don't want to be playing through a transaction log every time. You need to make a um, can you find me the order with this ID query? Right. Um, so we we pull all of the we pull all the transaction data off that um, and, and index it. And in version one, it's all local. In version two, I say it's a bit more it's a bit more shared between the different nodes. But that gives us an opportunity then to say, right, okay, if we if we really do need to make bigger changes, um, that's our chance to um, in in a in a in a reasonably backwards compatible way um, say, right, okay, what we're going to do? We're going to change our indexing structure. And so while your system is running live on like version M minus one, um, your system can carry on going and we'll index it into that in, into that format. Um, but you can bring up another XT node with a new version. Once that's caught up um, with the with the indexing structure in the, in the new format, um, you can then sort them over in a sort of a green blue, uh, green blue deploy type way. Right, yeah. But, well, but, that's, but that's a great thing we get out of this inside our architecture. And we, we couldn't do that if the log wasn't the if the log wasn't the absolute golden store. Yeah, yeah, and it's also nice that you've got like with an immutable log, most of the data is just sitting there, guaranteed unchanging, and there's just a new bit at the front to worry about. Yes. So you, yeah. I imagine if it's anything like Kafka World, you can do those re-indexing upgrades and do nearly all the work as slowly as you like. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. That. Easier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- this wants, makes me want to circle around a bit to, you say indexes, makes me think, what's it like as a developer using this database? 
am I, I mean, is it like a relational database and I'm creating my own custom indexes and stuff like that? What's it like to work um, with? So um, XT is a, a very much a schemaless database. Um, so okay. we don't re we don't require any upfront schema from a user. Um, and so e even though it, support, it supports now both data log and SQL, um, we we don't have to do any of the sort of the usual SQL DDL of create table or anything like that. Okay. Um, you're you're not restricted on what columns you put into the table. Um, essentially, you insert a document, you insert a, a map um, of, of data. The only thing we do ask for is an ID, like give give us an entity ID, and we'll right. we'll work with that. That that just gives us that that, that gives us the ability to keep track of a, an entity's changes over time because the ID remains uh, the ID remains constant. Yeah. Um, so it's it's quite free and flexible in that in that regard, um, and then we then um, we then do the best job we can with our with our indexes um, to uh, to get you the the, the data you need. Um, so we keep um, a, no, a number of different um, trees, a number of different a number of different trees. Um, I say this um, at the moment it's it's in rocks. Um, so rocks DB. Okay. Rocks DB. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that that that's great at sort of storing um, sort of ordered order trees. And that, that gets us that gets us pretty decent performance. Okay. Um, but we're we're looking um, we're looking at different structures for V two V two is a um, a columnar database based on Apache Arrow, which oh, okay. has a, 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 has a big different way of thinking about how we're storing the data and um, and also the, again coming coming back to what we were talking about earlier the constraints are a little bit different. Um, like all, all of a sudden the, um, the the cost of scanning a lot of data on disk come, comes down relative to um, Relative to sort of random accesses, and so our query engine now is prioritizing those um, over a lot of random accesses in some cases. So for version two, you've had to rewrite the query engine on top of everything else. Yes, yeah. That, that in itself is a lot of work. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just thinking of Oracle. Yeah. That's like it's, it's almost like a historical empire of optimizer code. Right. It's certainly a lot of optimizer code. Like if you, um, we we we, <laughs> we we were looking around once um, at, at the various job boards when we were, when we were looking to hire for um, for XT, and and you look at the job boards for for database engineers, and they are nearly all you'll be working on query optimization. <laughs> <laughs> By far and away, the the, the biggest um, um, the, the biggest thing people are looking for in, in really? the database world. Yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, I know it's big, but I wouldn't have thought it's like significantly the number one thing. It, it certainly seemed to be in our very limited research. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. Okay. So I'm I'm trying to think this through now. So inserting documents, right? Mm -hmm. Is it, have, have you got this? Is it like if? Let me put it this way. I create a user by inserting a new user document and it's got like their name and their age and their social security number and their address. Now I come back and I want to change their address. Can I just insert the delta? Or do I have to reinsert the whole record? Um, so you can uh, you can now. Um, so we, we do have SQL's update DML. Um, and and what, what we're essentially doing then on your behalf is grabbing the document and creating a new, a new version of that document. Okay, so under the hood, you're you're writing a whole new, you're like Git, right? Yeah. Where it stores the the complete version of the file every time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
that must be mixed because you've got a single writer. So you've then mm -hmm. got the, the kind of operating system problem of managing access to that single writer. And so the um, the operating system, uh, we, we get that for free with the with the SQL partition from Kafka. Um, so we don't, we don't have to do an awful lot of coordination. We don't have to do any coordination between any um, any threads or anything like that, or any okay. concurrent processes. Um, and for, for, for a lot of use cases, that's that's absolutely fine. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about the other side. A single partition on Kafka can be, uh, can, be, can be very quick these days. Yeah, and very large and still be useful, mm. right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Let's take a look at this from the other side then. You've... There you are optimizing different queries, worrying about not changing data. How do you get meaningful data sets to test against for a new database? So there are a few industry benchmarks out there um, that, okay. that we uh, that we use. Um, we, uh, the, the the main two that we uh, that we tend to look at when we're doing sort of, um, uh, when when we're looking at the impact of, of new changes is uh, TPCH, which is quite common. Um, TPCH. Uh, so TPC, uh, TPC is the performance consortium. Um, they've, they've, they've got benchmarks like A through whatever. Um, I've, okay. got no, I've got no idea um, <laughs> how, far, how far they've got these days. Um, but H is an, <laughs> is an OLAP benchmark. Okay. Um, and it's it's based around um, a fairly a fairly typical use case of customers, orders, products, line items, suppliers. And pretty much any if you if you were running a if you were running a business of, of that kind of nature, it's it's all it's all of the analytical and BI like queries that you um, that you can imagine. Oh, okay. Um, um, and you can run that at different scale factors. Um, so, for example, we run it at quite a small scale factor to have a um, a, a rough idea of the um, of the of the impact of a change. Um, but then you can scale it up and run it on a larger uh, on a larger um, scale factor. Um, like for example, when you're doing a new release or you're really looking at a change that's going to heavily affect performance at larger scales. Okay. That's interesting. Um, but, I, there's also similar LTP benchmarks as well. Right. Yeah. As someone who builds demos, having access to a data set like that, I shall store that away mentally for future yes. projects. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned um, the word of the industry, scale. Mm -hmm. What what how what's the scaling story? You're a single writer, so you're mm -hmm. limited on writes. Which are scaling for reads? Yeah. Um, so the scaling on reads is that um, you, you can you can scale reads horizontally. Um, so if if you need um, if you do need more read um, uh, scaling, then you add add a new XT, XT node. Um, it, it brings it brings itself up, um, and then you start querying against the shared object store. Um, in V2, so it will pull down what it needs from the um, from the shared object store, and then and then get going. Okay. Um, now, because our transactions are entirely deterministic, um, we know that the the state on each of the nodes um, is going to be consistent, and that's that's a big simplification for us. Like we don't we don't need any coordination or anything like that between the nodes um, because we we trust that they're going to end up at the, uh, at the at the same state at the end. Oh right, they may not necessarily be in sync though. Perfectly. They may not be in sync. Um, so, what um, what you have to do in that case um, is that each again this, um, again I'm talking um, talking the V2 here. Um, each client keeps track of the last transaction that it wrote, and at the very least, it will give you that uh, the the world as of that transaction. Oh, so that, okay. that enables that enables you to read your rights. Yeah. Um, if it's got further than that, that's great. Um, 
yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, it, you, you can you can at least put a, put a document into the database, and then the next the next query you you make will read out. So you have been thinking like um, like. <sighs> My university professor is going to be very unhappy with me, but the name for those like isolation levels in database design. Yes, yeah. Okay, that must be fun. Um, so in that case, I mean, the, the, the single writer again gets us a long way here. Um, so in in terms of the and because the um, the reads and the writes are separated um, on the on the right side of things, um, you, you obviously submit the transaction to Kafka. It comes back round through the, the Kafka pipeline, but then, but then because you've got this um, the single writer at the head of the queue, we actually work at a strict serializable level, um, which is the, um, the, the 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 top level that you can get on the on the writer side. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If, every every transaction sees every is guaranteed to see every transaction before it, um, and and that, sorry, it's, it's naturally serializable because it's a single like single writer. And yeah, that, things get a lot easier <laughs> when you don't have concurrent writes. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, but uh, you think about the amount of locking code that we also don't have to uh, don't have to consider either. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Row 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 locking and that isn't a thing. Um, uh, um, we don't we don't uh, we don't at least as yet have interactive transactions, so it's not it's not like you can you can then read and then um, write based on that um, based on that read. So you don't you don't get sort of. Um, you don't get people accidentally locking a table or anything like that with a, <laughs> <laughs> this, that is a, this is the thing I thought like off the back of Martin Kleppman again. If you start mm. with this transaction log, then you're basically yes, building yeah. state machines on top of that transaction log. Yeah, and yeah. and like a, a SQL database like Postgres or Oracle is a really, really clever, fancy state machine. Mm-hmm to allow these things, but do we need as sophisticated a state machine as that for all our transaction log processing tasks? A, a very good question. I mean, I'm, I think we're, we're obviously a little bit biased. Um, we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're obviously quite biased on that one. So do you ever get like different um, pe people using the same transaction log that you're using for your bitemporal view of it? Do people reuse that same underlying transaction log for different purposes ever? Um, I'm I'm not aware of people um, using our transaction log. Um, I mean, the the, the the format on there, while it, while it's an open format, it's probably a little bit gnarly for people to be, uh, okay. to be reading enough. off. Very honest. Um, I think with no, no, I'll tell a lie. I'll tell you what, um, because as as part of well, we we provide it, um, so it's 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 a half lie. And we, we provide a Lucene module um, for for XT that then that reads off the same um, that reads off the same transaction log. Um, and there are there are internal APIs if people do want to go diving down that do, that do give them that access to the, the events coming through the events coming through the system. Okay, what's the Lucene um, API get used for? I mean, what do people set? It's just like free text search in your transactions. Uh, yes. Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly that. Um, so yeah, if you're um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, th I think all the, all the usual use cases for um, for, for Lucene really. Um, where we do have the op the opposite, in fact, um, where we do have the ability to um, uh, hook XT into someone else's transaction log, and we've um, we've done this. Um, we've done, we did we did this for a client who were using Corda and the Corda blockchain. Um, oh, oh, so they, yeah. they they had a 
Oh, see, the, the, the B word came up. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I can see why they want, I mean, they've got a mutable log and they probably need yep. analytics on it. Yeah, I can see this. So they already have the data in that format. Um, what, what they want is a way to query that um, yeah. using using XDs by temporality. Um, and so we, we wrote them a little module um, that, that, that hooked the two together. And so they, they, kept, their core, they kept their core a source of truth. Um, but they were able to then run run XT queries over. Ooh, I can see that being really popular in the blockchain world. Without, uh, yeah. without, um, without declaring for or against blockchain technologies, I can mm -hmm. see decent analysis over those blockchains as a service being quite popular. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, I guess it's the, it's the same principle, isn't it? It's a it's a log at the heart of the system. Yeah, yeah. And so, so yeah, there's, there's quite. A, I can see quite a lot of overlap there. That takes us to the question, the sixty-four thousand dollar question for a small company <laughs> building a database: Who's using it, and for what? Um, so we, we're seeing quite a lot of users um, across across various different industries. Um, obviously, um, obviously, we see quite a lot of it in financial industries, um, as, we, as we were talking about earlier. Mm. I think the, um, the the kind of the, the natural tendencies in that industry, both to um, know, know whatever happened at a certain time, and it's, especially with the kinds of regulations that are coming through, um, that are really forcing people to, to to justify what they what they knew and when, um, yeah. and that, that that kind of thing. So we, we we see an awful lot of we see an awful lot of usage in, in those kind of areas, but to be honest, it, it varies um, it, it varies quite widely. Um, like anything, um, anything where like time is of the uh, time is of the essence, if you like. Um, mm. <laughs> so um, we see, for example, in, pri um, in pricing systems, in product pricing systems. Um, so in, in one case in particular um, that, that Juxta's worked on with quite closely, um, we've um, the, the the company like to schedule price changes, and they can do that with a bi-temporal system because you can you can say I want I want this product to have this price as of next Tuesday. Yes. Yeah. Um, so any kind I, of scheduling I, or CMS or those, those kind of systems use the other the other side of bi-temporality, if you like. Yeah, writing into the future, which is a largely mm. unexplored field, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 It, uh, does it? Is that reliable? Is is the developer experience such that you're not going to accidentally write software that pulls from the future? In in what way? Sorry, I, I'm just thinking like you've got all this flexibility to make that query. How mm. easy is it to ensure that you do the right thing in most cases? So our, our defaults um, make sure that you that um, the default is always as of now. Um, so you, you only ever see us um, if, if you can if you can imagine a nice big sort of two D graph of sort of history going through in in both dimensions. We 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 limit you to the y equals x the diagonal. By default. <laughs> you know this is an audio podcast, right? Well, yeah, okay. Uh, so you can't see me waving my hands and sort of hand hand wave the explanation of any of the this. The people listening to this on like Spotify and Apple Podcasts can't even <laughs> see your resplendent beard, James. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're missing out. They're missing out. They really are. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so uh, um, in, in which case, so without without the visual metaphor, then um, 
the, the I say in 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 a lot of cases because it, because it's what sort of traditional relational SQL databases do. Um, mm. the, we we make sure that the default is as of now, um, both in what we currently know and of, of and what we currently know about the current time. Right. So transaction right. time and valid time. Um, you have to explicitly ask for across time queries. That that's what I was getting at. So the default behavior matches your expectations of how things generally yes. work. Principle of least yeah. surprise, they call it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so I think I have two more big questions to ask you, and I think they're slightly controversial. All right. But I have to ask them. Um, Buckling up. Why, why build a database enclosure? So I think for us, um, I mean, I mean Juxt is a, is a closure company. Um, mm. and, and we're very, we're very much sold on the um, on, on the ideas behind closure, um, it's especially as the um, so building an immutable schemaless dynamic data uh, database um, seemed to go quite hand in hand with an immutable schemaless dynamic language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for us, for us, it was a good fit in that sense. Um, we, we've also obviously got quite a lot of um, experience with the with the closure industry as well. So th there, there was quite a good there was quite a good pairing there. We do, of course, find that the um, the, the more sort of um, the, the more performant areas of the code we do find, um, and especially the more sort of stateful, mutable, um, ugly code that you tend to want to hide away. Um, that, <laughs> yeah, that is being written more and more in in Java now. Um, okay, just, just because there were, there were certain areas where we found that we were writing closures if it were Java for the for the mutable performance, but this is as um, as our, as our Lord and Saviour Rich says, um, Rich, Rich Hickey. <laughs> Rich Hickey, creator of Closure. Yes. Um, he says it's, um, I, think, I think he's done a couple of talks now where he said that, that so, long as the ex, so long as the exterior of the system looks immutable and behaves immutably, um, what you do below the surface, um, if, if, there's a, if the tree is being mutably hacked down in the forest, um, <laughs> So long as the exterior is uh, behave, behaves immutably and gives you those guarantees, um, that, that's that's okay. Okay, so you're you're happily enclosure in the logical world, but under the covers, yeah. You're I don't want to say slumming it with Java. You're um, <laughs> I can't think it's... of the right way to say it that isn't going to offend someone. So I'll just drop it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's 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 getting better these days. It, it really is, is yeah. These days. yeah it's, like they've um, learned a lot from the JVM languages. I think they got a bit, I don't want to say complacent, but mm. uh, what they, they just, they they lost momentum yes. in the Java yeah, world. And then suddenly maybe Clojure, definitely Scala, and maybe even uh, Groovy. Kotlin since then. Kotlin since then made them get their act together. And that's very hard to go from a, language mm. that's lost momentum to getting it back again. But hat tip yes, to them, yeah. they really have. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I think the other thing I'd say about Clojure is, um, especially for a research project, um, we find we've been able to move a lot quicker. Um, so for the, if you think about the sort of the make it work, make it pretty, make it fast, um, yeah. certainly for the make it work, um, we found that we've been able to do that phase very much quicker from Clojure and its interactive development. Yeah. Um, the, the, the REPL experience um, and, the, and, the, and the fast turnaround times. So the the experimentation side of things, like what what happens if I design a system in this way? Um, yeah, yeah. Closure can be a great language when you have no idea what you're doing, 
which is oh, yeah. happens in programming, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and it happens just as much when you're writing a database as it does when you're writing a web app. Maybe more so. I can believe. Uh, yeah, because yeah, you're explore, especially if you're writing a new database, we're having to explore entirely new design decisions. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, um, yeah, and and I mean, for us at least in the early days when we were figuring out how to best use Apache Array, um, ha having something that we could that we could really sort of poke it poke it with and see what it did. Um, you, you have to be quite. Um, it, it's quite strict with you about your memory management in Apache Array. It's very sort of manual memory management type. Uh, this is an aside that maybe library. we'll save for the DVD bonus features, but <laughs> tell me a bit more about Apache Arrow. Um, so it's a columnar data format. Um, it's, so it's been pioneered by, uh, by, pioneered by Apache um, and being used in, a, um, used in a number of different companies in, um, in industry. Um, but one of, one of its main benefits is that um, the on-disk um, the on-disk format is exactly the same as the in-memory format, so there's no serialization or deserialization. Um, if you want to, if you want to, for example, read a, um, an array file, a, me a memory map is a great way to do that. Um, okay. Because you, there's there's no trans there's no uh, say for example you were writing files in um, in JSON or whatever have you, mm. you'd need to translate that into into whatever objects that you've got um, whatever objects that you're working with um, or maps if you're in the closure world. Yeah. Whereas with with Arrow, there's no, there's none of that translation happening, um, so you, you're re, you're literally reading bytes. Um, and what and, are you getting back? Like, do you spend a lot of your development time re, um, deserializing byte strings, or is it just is it just pop off disk looking like a closure map because that's what you wrote? Um, certainly for the primitives, um, so it'll it'll, uh, it'll pop off disk looking like doubles and longs and, and, that, okay. and that kind of thing. Um, maps and other composite structures, so, um, maps um, maps and lists predominantly in, in Arrow, um, are stored in a column way. So, for example, when you've got a map of like A and B keys, um, the the Arrow format will store all the A's in a row. In, uh, sorry, all the A's in a column, and then all the B's in a, in, a, in a column. Um, and so you you end up particularly if those are fixed width, so particularly if they are sort of longs or doubles or the like, you yeah. end up being able to navigate like straight to the um, straight to the value you're looking for. Okay, and that I'm guessing that works out super fast if you want specific fields or you want to aggregate specific fields, but mm -hmm. the trade-off is you lose getting the whole object with all of its fields quite yes, so quickly. Yeah. Um, um, and we've had to put a little bit of thought into how we do things like select star for that. Yeah, for that yeah exactly. Reason. Yeah. Okay. So, last controversial choice. Um, I know mm -hmm. XTD, XTDB supports two different query languages. It does. Yes. Tell me about that. So, from the from the early days of XT, um, we we very much went with with data log. Um, again, hev heavily inspired by Datomic. Um, I, don't, I don't think that's any. I don't think that's any secret. Um, I think for for us in the for us in the closure industry, I think there's always been a little bit of that love for data log. Um, it's very much sort of a, a data oriented query language. Um, it, it feels a lot more sort of declarative in the way that you're you're asking for what you want rather than necessarily how, how you want it. Um, for those that don't know, because I've worked a little bit with data log, but for those that don't know, describe it. So, um, Datalog is essentially um, is a language that works. It's it, it's a logical language, 
Um, it's a it's a subset it's a subset of Prolog, although I guess if um, people <laughs> work with data, they're not going to work with Prolog. Um, where where essentially you dif, um, you bind different variables um, to, to values coming out of your documents. Um, so, for example, if, if I'm joining um, customers onto orders, I'll make two declarations. I'll say um, that a customer has a customer ID of my customer ID, and then I'll say that my order also has a customer ID of that order ID. And what the what the data log engine is then doing is saying, right, okay, I, I can see customer ID twice here. I'm going to make sure I'm going to unify these two, and that essentially is an implicit join. Right. Um, and so you can you can trade um you can you can very much sort of within your query you can very much see right okay so here here are the things that I need uh, here are the things that I'm joining on, um, and I get I get a bit more of a declaration of sort of when I um when I traverse my graph if you like if. Because you can kind of, you can kind of think of customers' orders line items as a, as a bit of a as a bit of a graph database, and at times we have called XT a graph database. Oh, have you? Uh, for, for that for that very reason, yeah. Because you can you can think about it in a in a, in a graph like way, a graph of documents. Um, where was I going with that? Um, so yeah, when you when you're writing the query, you are writing it like, almost like a graph traversal. You're you're saying right, start like find me this customer node. And then from this customer node, navigate out to the order node and navigate from the order to its individual line items. And the query, the query actually looks like that to work with. My um, but fun, data. fundamentally, it's data as well. So it's it's data rather than a string. So anyone who's I think anyone who ever works with a SQL has probably had to generate SQL at some point in the past, <laughs> and yeah. has um, sort of got got in a bit of a tangle about how many ands do I need in my where clause when I'm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, 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 can't, you, you know what I mean. You can't really. The thing I, my favorite feature of data log is you can start because it's a data structure rather than a string. You can start to mm. compose things, right? You, you can. can say, "Here's two extra clauses that I want to mix in with this query." Yeah, exactly. without having to like string edit where the and is in my where clause. <laughs> um, and all of the uh, and all of the SQL injection that follows, no doubt. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but but what, um, but what we've done recently, so we 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 obviously love closure, and I think the uh, sorry we obviously love data log, and I think the closure industry um, obviously loves um, loves data log as well. Um, but but we've recognised that that love's not universal. <laughs> um, How aware of you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we recognise that it's a hell of a niche, um, and. <laughs> That you're not, you're not going to get even if even if you the development team um, are fully, fully bought into this, um, you're, you're not you're not going to convince people outside of that um, that they, they should cast aside all of their SQL experience and tooling and everything else that they've they've, um, that they've gotten used to about the about the SQL world. So that's that's one of the reasons why we really wanted to make SQL a, um, a first class citizen as well. Hmm. Um, and so what, what we've ended up building is a database where you can query the same data with both data log and SQL um, and rough, roughly equivalent data log and SQL as well. So you can you can look at a data log query and a SQL query side by side, assess that they're, they're, they're equivalent queries and they'll return you the same data. Uh, they'll return, okay. return you the same results. So we, they, we think that's we think that's fantastically powerful. Are they on feature parity? Is one more powerful than the other? Um, they're not far off, you know. Um, so we, we've had to put a fair bit more work into SQL, um, data log, um, uh, particularly in terms of its scoping rules, um, is, is quite a lot of a, a, a simpler language. Um, but what we 
what we do is we compile both of them down to an intermediate representation. We compile both of them down to what we call a, um, what we call a logical plan. Right. Um, which is essentially relational algebra, that old thing. <laughs> Um, Your university professor must be very proud of you. Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> Might not have been proud of how much I remembered when I first started on it. Um, but at least, <laughs> the, yeah, the, the, um, the remembering that it existed was certainly a very good start. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it, isn't that all we're ever doing? So remembering that something exists enough to go Google it. Yeah, um, sometimes the hardest problem is discovering the bits that you don't know. That's yes, why this podcast yeah. exists. There's my plan. <laughs> But no, relational algebra is fantastic. Um, I love it, um, and I mean it's, it's, it's obviously the underpinnings of underpinnings of SQL. Um, mm. So SQL is very much very much based on that. Um, but the composability of relational algebra, like you, you really can um, compose those queries together, and we, we're looking to get back to that um, with um, with Datalog. So you hoping secretly that those people that start off with SQL will gradually be tempted to your way of doing things. You can cut that out of the podcast, right? Don't, don't tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll leave that on the cutting room floor, honest. You. Yeah, okay. If you're hearing this at home, I have betrayed James <laughs> and he's never speaking to me again. <laughs> no, I mean, to be honest, I mean, we're the, it, it very much was the tooling of the SQL, SQL ecosystem because there, there's just so much of it. Like, we're... Yeah. With with the best will in the world, we're not gonna we're not gonna compete with with that in in the closure industry. Yeah, I'm um, I'm inclined to think that if you're trying to do a new way of doing databases, that is yeah. one front on which to change the world, and that's plenty. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have to be a little bit sort of conservative about that, but that particular budget, and you. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you said. Well, what, what's, what's the phrase? Is it data log rocks, but SQL reaches? Data log rocks, but SQL reaches. Love it. <laughs> so to, to steal a phrase there. You're, I can predict that at some point in the future, your team will have that on a T-shirt at a conference, <laughs> giving it away. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So you said you've just put version two in, like, was it preview release or early um, access? It's very much early access at the moment. Um, so we're, we're, in, we're in listening mode. Um, so John, our CEO, um, announced um, announced the, the V2 early access at ClojureConch, which is a, a few weeks ago over in um, over in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, and so the the idea behind this um, is to to get people to have a bit of a play with it, try it out, um, let let us know what you think, um, and let, let us know of any big stumbling blocks you you, you come across. Um, over time, um, we'll be we'll be moving through the the traditional sort of alpha, beta, RC, and and stable release. Okay. Um, so I, I think it's fair to call it pre-alpha right now. If, if you're not, if you're not comfortable with the bleeding edge, it's probably <laughs> not for you just yet. But where do I go? Is it fun to play with if I want to just kick the tire as an experiment? Absolutely. Um, so we, we've, um, you can go to xdb.com/v2, um, and all, all the all the um, all the instructions about how to get started and write your write your bitemporal queries will be on there. Okay, I'm going to give it a go. It sounds like fun. And Great. maybe I'll finally get the accounting system that will make my taxes easy at the end of the year. Ah, you've got to write all the tax rules yourself, though. We don't, we don't, come, <laughs> don't bundle those in. <laughs> I hear the government's going to simplify them any day now. I won't worry. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. 
James, as ever, a pleasure to talk to you. And, and, uh, you, and you, good sir, and you. Good luck with the path to um, official final release of version two. Cheers, Chris. Cheers. Thank you, James. If you'd like to take XTDB for a test drive, if you want to explore by temporality or data log or anything like that, there's a link to the project in the show notes. And if you do, please drop them a line if you've got any feedback. I know James would appreciate it. I appreciate feedback too. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to like it or rate it or share it or review it or subscribe to it or all those different feedbacky things. It always helps and it's always interesting to hear. Or just drop me a line. My contact details are in the show notes too for Twitter and LinkedIn and the usual. And while I'm thinking about it, we're going to continue to explore different kinds of database on this podcast. So if you've got any suggestions or requests, let me know. I know I'm planning to do vector databases soon. That one interests me. So that will be coming up. But I think that's all for this week. So I've been your host, Chris Jenkins. This has been Developer Voices with James Henderson. Thanks for listening.